to another episode of the Bachi and Yaya Travel the World podcast. It's a place where we like to spend some time talking about all things travel and how travel can be part of your lifestyle, whether you're hanging out at home or you've got boarding passes in your hands. Travel influences us every single day. My name is Alex. I play the Bapsha role. I'm a mom, a teacher, a traveler, a blogger. You can find me over at www.tgctravel.com and an overall travel junkie. Meet my best friend, Terry. Hi, guys. I'm Terry. I play the Yaya in this. I am a mom, a teacher, and right now I'm a U.S. traveler. So today, our big topic is we're going to be talking about Japan. We're going to share some things also that keep us travel happy. When we're out and about, we're going to talk about books, food, travel tips, and products that we love. And this is all going to start with a little segment we like to call Now Boarding. In this week's Now Boarding, we are talking all about Japan. It's a place I love, very close to my heart. So I thought we'd start with some global book picks. My first pick is a children's book called How My Parents Learned to Eat. I love this story. It's an adorable story about a dad who's an American sailor and a mom who's a Japanese um, student and how they wind up eating and how their child is influenced by their cultures. Totally adorable. And one of the books we profiled in our 10 books for for 10 minutes over the summer. So a really great um, pick. What about you, Terry? Well, for me, you know, Japan is somewhere I've always wanted to go. I especially would like love to have come visited you. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of like a newbie on this topic. So I did find a book called Things I Wish I Knew Before Going to Japan. And the author of this book lives in Japan. And so as you go through it, you're learning all these great facts and a lot of cultural information. So I really think it's a good book to to read before heading over there. A great starter travel guide. I agree. Um, so my travel tip when going to Japan is to be a very good map reader so that you are able to navigate your way around the islands and also be able to use public transportation. Yet you do have to have your map skills in check. And we're going to talk more about that later, but I think it's a super good skill to have, particularly in Japan. Okay. Well, my travel tip, and I like how this falls onto me, is tattoos. We're a family, minus my husband, that we enjoy our tattoos. Well, however, when traveling in some countries, maybe like Japan, this is not a common or desired thing. So please make sure you take something to cover up so you can hide your beautiful artwork so you're not, you know, offending anyone. True, very true in Japan. And you'll find that at more traditional areas um, Uh that that's an issue. Okay. Let's talk travel products. I think our travel product choices this time around are so universal, but so Japan at the same time. Yeah. Um, I learned to use a reusable bag in Japan more than any other place that I ever traveled in. In living in Japan, I got in the habit of carrying a reusable bag in my purse. And I 
I use it probably more than any other item as I travel the world. Okay. And I love it. You really got me hooked on those reusable bags where I keep one in my purse Mm -hmm. all the time, just in case. Yeah. Well, my travel product, like you said, is a universal, but I think more so like in, in Japan, you want to wear socks because there's a lot of places you go in, you have to take your shoes off. Mm -hmm. And the great thing is if you like them, you can wear the tabbies socks that look like a, like a pair of mittens on your feet. (laughs) Yes. Your big toe has its own house. Mm hmm. Yeah, they're uh, they're super comfortable too. Like I didn't think I would like them, and I like them more than I than I expected. Um, it is a good idea, and if you're traveling there in the summer, I don't think it's the worst idea to throw a pair of socks in your bag, just so that when you do take off your flip flops or your sandals, you can throw them on in those public places that do require you to take your shoes off, and it's more common than you may think. So. I, I think like I just want to wear my socks with my sandals. There you go. I mean, there's Don't no think quicker... I'm not going to stick out. <laughs> there's no quicker way to stick out in a crowd than doing that, right? <laughs> okay. Um, I do have one travel binge choice for this um, episode. Um, there is an Americanized movie called Hachi. It stars Richard Gere, and it is based on the true story of a Japanese dog um, from the 1920s, 30s, and named Hachiko. And I have to tell you, this is very near and dear to my heart because I have a little dog that looks almost exactly like this dog. We bought our dog in Japan. And uh, the the movie is called Hachi. And it really gives you an idea of how the Japanese culture is very um, based on it's, it's the foundation of respect for very clear things exists. And it is a huge part of this culture, which is what makes it so interesting. And this is a great starting point, this great movie Hachi. So I like that one. What about travel food, Terry? Well, you know me, I'm always up for some Japanese food, but I think mine is sometimes more Americanized than we like to call think about it. I love what I like to call pot stickers, mm-hmm. the gyoza. Yes. I could eat them all the time, anywhere. They're delicious. My feeling is the world is full of dumplings and we should try them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, please. Yes, please. Um, One of my favorite things when we lived in Japan that we ate was at a restaurant called Sukiya. It was fast food. And it was Korean beef ball in Mm. the the Japanese, like the Japanese version of that. And Mm -hmm. it was rice with this shaved, delicious beef on top of that with like scallions and spices. Oh my gosh, so good. My kids talk about this meal to this day, and it's probably one of the things that they miss from Japan more than anything else. It was just that good. That mm. good. Yeah. Tell me about some travel tech. Well, for me, I want you to think about when we're over there 
is that to make sure you have a personal secure wifi spot <laughs> because Japan is full of hackers. So definitely you want to make sure you have a secure wifi spot. You like how I'm using that word wifi? Do they use I like wifi? it? Do they say wifi in Japan? What do they say? Um, I think that they say internet. Internet. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm trying. I like wifi. I like wifi. Yeah. Okay. Like what it. about you? Tell. Give us some tech. Okay. I found this is not an app that I used when I lived in Japan. I found this new app. It's called Miss Green, and it's only for Android devices. However, this app is amazing. It's anime, so Japanese anime, and it's this tour guide named Miss Green who you can bring up at different famous landmarks throughout the country. And not only will she kind of give you a little bit of the background context, but she'll also tell you about any cultural um, changes that you should know about in visiting that particular site. So like you have to take your shoes off or do not wear a hat in the garden or be sure to bow when you are leaving or, you know, kind of like whatever it is, wash your hands if you're at a shrine, you know, all of those kind of things. She gives you the cultural information that you need in order to be successful at that spot at the same time. So I really kind of like this app. I, I looked into it and I felt like... Everywhere that I had been, the information that was on there was very accurate. So I was oh, a good. fan. Yeah, I was a big fan of that one. Good choices for Japan this week. Terry, I have to tell you, I'm really excited about this show. This one's a big one for me. Oh, I know, and I'm <laughs> going to be the interviewer. Yes. Okay. So we're going to play a game on this particular podcast because uh, for a little background information, my family, courtesy of the United States Navy, lived in Japan for several years and we adored it. We loved it so much. But Terry, you've not had a chance to visit the land of the rising sun. No, I've not. And you have asked me questions about Japan for years. So we thought we would pull all of those questions that were Terry's curiosities together with my experiences, and we would put them into one podcast to help people kind of enjoy the basics of what it takes to really get the most out of a trip to Japan. So that's kind of the premise for today. So I'm kind of looking forward to this. I think it's going to be very, very cool. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's okay. do this. So we're gonna we're gonna get back to basics. Let's let's start uh-huh. with basics. Mm-hmm. And the first thing is Japanese etiquette. You know, everywhere you go, you need to to know what the proper etiquette is. And I'm always one, you know, that I'm clueless. <laughs> what is it that okay, what is it? that we need to specifically know when traveling to Japan? Like what's socially acceptable, non-acceptable? 
Well, I, I think this is a the perfect place to start because if there were two barriers that I think that come up for people saying they don't want to go to Japan, the first one is language, and we'll talk about that later. And the second one is knowing the social expectations. And I have to say this, the famous one of bowing, you know, I think people kind of make like a comical thought out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It is taken seriously and respect for age and um, place in society. All of those things really exist in a very modern society. And I think maybe that's what one of the biggest attractions is to Japan, is that they can have all of these traditional expectations and still have a completely modern society that functions well. So um, I I love kind of the dichotomy of that. Um, So if it were me and I were giving kind of the most basic advice about being in Japan for um, etiquette, um, you are the gaijin, you are the foreigner, and um, bow when someone bows to you um, and, you know, kind of keep a straight back and and kind of bow maybe kind of like 45 degree angle and um, say thank you and please often. And you should probably know those words in Japanese. I will tell you, um, well, we'll talk about that more with language, but I, I think that that's pretty much the most important things. You'll get by with absolutely everything else. Everything else they'll teach you along the way. Okay, which kind of leads me into my next thought-provoking question here. Courtesy. Mm -hmm. How far, you know, I sometimes feel that people come off sometimes a little hot and confrontational. And I've always learned that you can get more with kindness and courtesy. Does that work? Am I going to get anything special? Okay, I have to say this. The pleasantries in Japan are very normalized. There are no raised voices. People don't talk in public areas out of respect for the others around them. So you won't find like noisy train cars or super loud restaurants. Like that's just not part of who they are and what they do. Um, They are very concerned about how another person feels. They put that concept ahead of themselves. Unlike many other countries. I mean, let's be honest, okay? So you won't find any of that. However, you will you will see that they follow the rules to the T in order to avoid any kind of angry confrontation or any kind of issue that they may have. And they use those rules to settle pretty much everything very civilly. Um, almost to a fault. Um, and I think... In America, we kind of have the European sensibility of like, if I tip the porter or I tip the bellboy at the hotel, I'll get better treatment. You're not going to get that in Japan. Everybody gets the best treatment. Nobody gets more. Nobody gets less. We all get the best that we can offer. So kind of asking for more is a bit insulting there um, because they feel like, well, then you must not think I'm doing my job well. So I I think that's very important. So there are no exceptions to anything. This is what my husband says. Courtesy is king, but don't expect to get your way. Like, it just just doesn't happen. It's it's not Burger King, right? Right. Exactly. My way? 
Gotcha. And, and that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, but I, it works though. It works very well. Once you get into it and you kind of accept it, you'll, you'll be appreciative of it. Gotcha. Okay. As I am doing some research and checking things out and everything, I notice a lot of pictures. I see a lot of things I, when I'm Googling, there's a lot of umbrellas in Japan. Is this a thing? It's a thing. I don't know anybody who doesn't have like um, half a dozen cheap 100 yen store umbrellas by their front door. Um, there is a rainy season um, in June and July um, and a little bit into August, but mostly like late spring, early summer. And uh, it rains a lot. As a tourist, here's my feeling, and I believe this about anywhere, I would not waste the weight and the bulk of a an umbrella in your suitcase. In all honesty, the second it rains in Japan, everybody rolls out their little umbrellas and you buy one for 100 yen. That's like literally a dollar. And you use it and then you just kind of leave it at a hotel somewhere. I think it's far easier. You're not, you know, having one more thing to carry. So, um, but you will see everybody walking around with umbrellas. Like that is totally the thing because most people use public transportation, especially in the greater Tokyo area. So it's it's oh. not a car driven country. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, now that I think we're more aware since we've been living through this COVID pandemic mm-hmm. and we all have been wearing our masks, mm-hmm. but I do find tell me if I'm wrong, over in Japan, it's more common to wear a mask. Yeah, all over Asia. It it wasn't a pandemic thing that brought this on. Not at all. Um, Again, courtesy is king. So if I have a cold sore, it means I may have some cooties with my breathing. and. Yeah, okay. And um, if I have a cough, I don't want to get you sick, person who's very close to me on the train. So um, using masks is a way of life. And the kids are used to it. And the adults, they wear them when it's necessary. Okay. So, yeah. So um, they're very, very used to it. So I would not be alarmed by anybody wearing a mask because it's very typical. Um, the the social norm is to be considerate of the people around you. And, you know, you're looking at a city like Tokyo. Tokyo has um, one-third the population of the western seaboard of the United States in one-sixth of that area. So people are packed together. So having common courtesy for the people around you and being considerate is a huge part of surviving together in such close quarters. Well, I can imagine. Yeah. They need to develop like a butt mask. Because if you're having a little gas and you're that close, come on. (laughs) You know what? Knowing the Japanese, they probably will. (laughs) They probably will. It could already exist. Who knows? We'll have to check the 100 yen store. I think this is going to be one of my biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. If I ever, if, when I ever travel to Japan, let's talk language. Yes. Okay. 
So this is probably the number two um, barrier, travel barrier for people going there, um, is the kanji, the the writing and the language. The first thing that I like to say about the Japanese language is it's is it's grammatically set up like Latin Romance languages. So it has the same grammar system of Italian or Spanish. So already you know a lot about it just because you have familiarity with that. The next thing that I have to say is that pretty much the entire country, I mean, you have to really get into some nooks and crannies not to have this. They have a whole sub-language, written sub-language called Romanji. And what that means is it's the kanji word spelt out with the Roman alphabet. So you can actually read the signs. Um, It's all subtitled. All the kanji is subtitled in Romanji. So when you are trying to navigate, you are trying to go places, you can read the signs there. Um, There are very few places that I ever saw that didn't have it. Basically, if a tourist is going there, it exists. So, um, and quite frankly, the greater Tokyo area, very few people don't speak English. So I, I think language being a barrier should not be at the top of so many people's list. Because I, I do think that it's far easier than maybe people give themselves credit. Conversely, learn some of the language. The first three things that I learned to say in Japanese were, please, thank you, excuse me, I'm sorry. Which is <laughs> Well, you know... I too feel that language is going to be a barrier for me. So if I'm traveling, should I stay near a certain area or am I, is it free range being of limited knowledge of the area? Okay. So my, my suggestion is for someone who's going there for the first time, I would stick to the Kanto plane, which is, the area that's greater Tokyo. And quite frankly, you can expand that to Mount Fuji and Kyoto. I think if you stay between Tokyo to the West and Kyoto to the East, or I take that back. I just mix them up. Kyoto to the West and Tokyo to the East. And to get my math together in my mind. Um, I think if you stay between there, you will have a far more successful first visit. There is so much in that area. I could not possibly tell you. It would. It took me three years and I barely, I did not get enough done in the time that I was there. Like, and I still didn't see it all. So, so we have to go back. Yes. You will not be at a lack of things to do in Japan. It just doesn't exist. Okay, moving on from basics. Mm-hmm. Let's get a little freaky and talk about some culture shock. Oh my I gosh. No, I want to know about the squatty potties because, you know, we talked about airlines and I do not like to use the airline toilets. No. I do not like to use porta potties whatsoever. So tell me about the squatty potties. <laughs> okay. I was mentioning this to someone that I work with the other day, and she said they all use those squatty potties. And it occurred to me that what an American may think a squatty potty is, is that as seen on TV, little stool you put in front of the regular toilet. 
this is not what I am talking about. (laughs) I am telling you that in many places, and this is the traditional way, in many places, there are uh, potties that are totally inside the ground. They're modern. They flush. They're made of porcelain, but they are even with the floor and you have to squat down to do your business. How am I going to get back up? <laughs> uh, there are some that have bars in them, like the Could, old people bars to, to help That's you what out. I would need. That's <laughs> what I would need. <laughs> but have no fear. Because Japan is very tourist friendly, in my opinion, very traveler friendly. And I actually have a picture of an entire electronic diagram at a truck stop that we stopped on on the highway by Mount Fuji. And it had a diagram of which stalls were the squatty potties and which one were the American style toilets. And then it had a light that was green or red to tell you which one was open. It was like a whole big map. You know, I do like the light thing yes you know to know that it's occupied yeah but you know what i was kind of jealous when you did talk about your seat your heated potty seat (gasps) oh my gosh okay um in the top five things that i miss from living in japan i will tell you one of them is Waking up in the morning and sitting down to do one's business first thing in the morning on a warm toilet seat. It was a pleasant experience, not the jolting cold experience that we have here in our great United States. Why this is not a standard concept across the world is beyond me. The Japanese are right. Heat the potty seat so that when you sit down, you aren't jarred awake from a freezing butt. I I just, I don't understand it. You know, if our husbands truly loved us, they would sit on our potty and warm it up for us in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that could be more than we bargained for. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> next, next topic of discussion is music. Music. Yes. Because I do feel that there's random music that goes on. I remember it, telling you about this. Yes. Yeah. I remember writing home to you about this. So we lived in a great community called Atsugi. And um, when I was walking home one day with my umbrella uh, to our Japanese style house, I heard this like chiming music through the community. It was like this cute little song. And I realized it was coming from the school down the street. And every day at five o'clock, this music would play. And I didn't realize what it was. But again, Japan puts consideration first, consideration of others first. They played this music every day to tell the little children what time it was, to tell the older people what time it was, all for different reasons. So the older people people knew it was time to stop gardening in the communities and go home because a lot of retired Japanese people kind of volunteer in the local parks. 
um, which are amazing. And it also told the kids it's time to go home. And it was like this sweet little chiming song to keep kind of keep everybody independent. It allowed everybody to kind of do what they needed to do, get the reminder when they needed to get it as a community. And you would see kids kind of start making their way home and people kind of coming out of the park. And I was like, this is amazing. And we really enjoyed it. My kids were in elementary school and they could go to the neighborhood park, which was huge. And when the chimes came on, they knew it was time to start walking home. It worked out perfectly. I completely agree with this. However, Japan is an incredibly safe country. I'm very little um, major crimes happens in that country. And the kids can be out by themselves and they can, they don't need to be helicoptered like we do here. So random music you you don't know why it's there that's why it's there to help the community yeah. okay so i'm packed i'm ready to uh-huh. go uh-huh can i you know how much yen do i need to take with me okay so yen is the currency in japan and a hundred yen roughly equals a dollar okay 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 and i i will say this about yen it, Japan is perfectly credit card happy, but if you truly want all the experiences that Japan has to offer, you're going to need more yen in your pocket than you would somewhere else. Um, I think if you want to try out the super cool vending machines or um, video games or food stalls. You're going to need more yen. And that's really where the true fun lies. I can't tell you how many times my kids and I would be in a department store and they had video games that we never played before. And we would sit for hours and pay, you know, 10 yen to play. And for hours, it was $2 worth of money to, to enjoy these games and we had so much fun. So uh, like those are things that you will not get if you are a credit card only person. So I do think you need more yen than you than you may think. So pack my yen. Yeah, get your yen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thinking back as I was younger, when you thought of Japan, all I could remember is Hello Kitty. Yeah. Yeah. And is is it still a big to do over there? There's a Hello Kitty theme park. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it's all Hello Kitty, the Sanrio uh, theme park. Yes, Japan um one of the many faces of Japan, you know, you have the traditional face where you think of zen and shrines and temples and you know that great inner peace, the feng shui, all that kind of stuff. Then you have modern technology, Japan. You cannot talk about Japan without talking about all the cuteness that's there. Everything is made to be adorable. Adorable is the standard. So um, when you go to eat like a sticky bun in the morning, expect a cat face to be staring back at you. Um, These are the people who created pictures in your um, cappuccino. Oh, you know, like these are the people who created all of that. They're the creators of Hello Kitty. This is where the Harajuku movement 
started. Anime exists there. You are going to run into a sincere amount of cute, and you have to definitely be prepared to feel that saccharine, for lack of a better way of saying it. I have I have to be able to embrace it. Yeah, yeah. Embrace I mean, the cuteness. Yeah, and everything is like very, very cutie cute, you know. So it's and you there. Know I'm a cutie cute. I'm a cutie yeah. cute girl. Yes, yes. And remember, they don't use knives. Everything's even cut up cute. You know, like <laughs> in the food, it's every sweet. Yes, exactly. This is what, what I'm saying. <laughs> what really excites me, and I so want to try this. Uh-huh. And I think it should be everywhere. Mm-hmm. You're flying and you're tired and you're in a hotel, you're in an airport. I want to stay in one of those capsule hotels. Oh, one of the icons of Japan, the capsule yes. hotel. Please. They did- yeah, they did start at airports. You're absolutely right. They started at the airport and they've become more and more popular. So it's like a single mattress inside this little capsule and Google them. You'll see pictures of them. They're totally decked out with all the technology that you can think of. I think that they're fabulous for solo travelers. Um, here's why. First of all, they're super cheap. Um, and you can rent them for a block of hours. So like you could say six hours, like if you're catching a train and you just need to get a little shut eye, that's great. Um, they're single sex floors. So like there's a male elevator and a female elevator and those male, yeah, those males can't get to the female floors and the females can't get to the male floors. I feel so, like back in college. Yes, it is kind of like that. You're right. <laughs> it's the so, girl's floor. It's the girl's floor. Yes. So I think for the solo traveler, I think it's an incredible experience. There are, I don't find there to be too many choices where they have like a family choice. Um. I've seen it one time when the Duggars went on 19 Kids and Counting and they went to Japan and they rented an entire floor for the family. Oh, yeah. They, did, they made that. That was one exception I've seen Japan make. Okay, yeah. but could we, could we stay in one together? Um, no, we would need two. Oh. Because they're small. They're like cot size. Will we like have adjoining doors? There are no doors. Oh, <laughs> I still want to do it. I still want to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. But we so, can totally stay there. I get the top one. <laughs> okay. So now that we think about it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of absurd things that you can just sit there and say when you're over there in Japan going, I can't believe I'm doing this. I oh can't God. believe this is happening. Yeah. You you, have, do you have examples of that for us? Oh my God. All the time. Okay. I can't even tell you how many times I would say to myself in my brain, I can't believe I'm doing this. I have fed lions through bars. I have, um, I have been in Japan in a Chinatown in a Brazilian restaurant eating steak. (laughs) I have, um, tried on warrior clothes. I have, I I can't even tell you, it's so many places. The absurd and surreal of it, I think is part of the experience of doing it. 
Um, I have made plastic sushi magnets. I have uh, like, there are so many things that you wind up being able to do. You can't believe you're doing them. And the Japanese do these things so well. Um, they, they do them so well. I can't tell you the funniest one I can tell you where I was like, I can't, I can't believe I'm doing this. I was, um, in the region of Nagano, which is where, um, the last Japanese Olympics were held. And, (laughs) and I was on the side of a mountain, which was an issue (laughs) for me. And I'm already, I can't believe I'm doing this. And the snowflakes are coming down. It's gorgeous. And we're going to see the famous Japanese snow monkeys. And this woman kept on saying to us, our tour guide, she kept on saying to us, don't look at the monkeys in the face. They'll scratch your eyes out. Don't give the monkeys anything. They'll scratch your eyes out. She kept on saying, they'll scratch your eyes out. They'll scratch your eyes out. (laughs) After all of her warnings. And I was like, why am I bringing my children here again? Why do you keep saying this to me? And then she taught us how to sing like a snow song, like a children's snow song after freaking me out about my kids. Your children don't have any eyes. So I was so concerned with my kids, like as we're walking in and I'm like, okay, don't look at them. Don't touch them. Don't engage with them. And I'm standing there saying it. And my kids are like, but mom, mom and they and I'm like let me finish and 2 inches from my face <laughs> I was so dead is like the grandpa snow monkey with a look on his face like welcome to Walmart <laughs> I thought so he, no, he didn't want to scratch your eyes out he did it he wound up being very kind yeah i it, i mean it's crazy some of the situations you find yourself in you just can't believe you're doing these things and you, all you could do is laugh and but that's part of the fun of japan that's what makes it so much fun okay let's talk about probably my favorite topic mm. food mm-hmm. food and all things food so if i'm going to go to japan and i any restaurant any place i go into what is the common thing that i'm going to find on the menu what is the standard the gold standard in any restaurant anywhere in Japan are two things. Fish is going to be on the menu and tea is going to be served. Like we get glasses of water in the United States, you get a cup of tea. In those Japanese little tiny um, teacups that you see, they're not the English kind with the handle. Um, it, you are going to get that. And quite frankly, I don't understand how anybody would expect any different. Um, You know, when you look at the big fish market in Tokyo, that provides 16% of the world's fish. So, you know, so you're not, I'm going to get hot tea. I'm not going to get me some iced tea. You're not getting them sweet tea. You're not getting sweet tea. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So being yeah. in Japan, and I'm a huge sushi person, but uh-huh. I think I'm an American sushi person. But tell me about this. I always heard y'all talk about it, the sushi go round. And I know if there was a child of yours that probably <laughs> loved that the best would have been Ryan. That's right. Ryan was the sushi go round king. So- I mean... 
we lived basically in what you would call the suburbs, right? And over the supermarket in the suburbs was a great restaurant, and they were pretty much everywhere. And it was a conveyor belt that brought one uh, one piece of sushi on a very small plate. And you could just take it off the conveyor belt as you liked. You could take the ones that you liked off the conveyor belt or specially order something, and it would just come right by your table. So um, there are are a ton of restaurants where you hit a buzzer. You never raise your hand for a waiter or a waitress in Japan. There's always a buzzer on the table and they will come to you. You Buzz, buzz, buzz. Yes, you never have to flag someone down. It's a silent buzzer. They know that you you need them. And the, the novelty of all the restaurants there like the sushi go round, um, where the sushi comes to your table, you just take it off the conveyor belt. Um, there are ninja restaurants. There are um, places where you catch your own fish for dinner, which we did, and the fish moved on the plate <laughs> after it was cut up. Oh and I no! Freaked me out. Yes, and you know, um, there are places where you go to cafes where you can have tea with bunnies or cats or puppies or guinea pigs. Um, you name it there are so many novelty restaurants in japan you kind of can't pass them up they're that great i do appreciate you bringing the guinea pigs that's (laughs) that was that was very kind of you but my next favorite this is probably surpasses sushi Mm -hmm. but ramen ramen doesn't love a big bowl of ramen Let's just take a minute and take in the fact that these are the people who invented the cup of noodles. These are the people. This is, this is cup of noodles homeland. So that instant soup that we're used to in the United States is a whole nother level when you have real ramen. It, It is Amazing. And there are plenty of ramen houses across the country to try. Um, And they are very much, I would say, what Olive Garden and Texas Roadhouse is to America, the ramen house and the sushi go round are to Japan. That's a beautiful analogy. How's that, right? So um, I would, the possibilities are so endless when it comes to ramen, what kind of broth you want, what kind of toppings you want, what you want to go with it. And these places give you huge amounts of food. So be ready to split things. You're going to need it. It's a ton of food and it is so good. Don't compare what you get in the little plastic package in the supermarket in America with what they serve in Japan. If you've never had real ramen, you must have real ramen. It is an amazing experience. Amazing. Okay. Uh What's the deal with eating stuff on a stick? I mean, I know when we go (laughs) to the fair, you get a corn dog. But what is it in Japan? It is more delicious in Japan. So at a lot of the fairs and festivals, which are numerous, 
They serve a lot of food on a stick. Remember, they're not silverware people. They're not fork and knife people. They're spoon and chopsticks people. So serving Mm -hmm. things on a stick is very easy for them because they don't have to give utensils, which is far more efficient. So you will find everything on a stick, especially at fairs and festivals there. Um, My kid's favorite by far, and they've had everything from donuts on a stick to octopus on a stick. They will mm-hmm. eat anything. If it came on a stick, they would eat it. Okay. My kid's favorite thing by far was corn on the cob on a stick. If they saw a vendor that had that, it was over. Game over. We're eating this. Nobody's moving until we eat this. That's how good everything is. They just know what they're doing. They just now, know what they're doing. Do they think that corn is a vegetable or not? (laughs) Okay. There is a huge argument in my house on whether or not corn is a starch or a vegetable. (laughs) And I think nutritionally it's a starch, but categorically it's a vegetable. I agree with you. I would say in that case, they thought it was the whole meal. There you go. It was that good. Yes. (laughs) And you know what I find really fascinating? Because over here, if you need a soda, you can go to a vending machine and get you a soda, get you a candy bar. But Japan takes it to a whole new level. Um. We live in the prehistoric age of the vending machine in this country. When I tell you the vending machines in Japan are outdo like I've watched a vending machine make a hot dog and squirt the ketchup on for us like literally roast the hot dog put it in the bun squirt the ketchup on it and serve it on like a mechanical hand to my child how great is that (laughs) I've seen give them some yen and send them to the vending machine for dinner Five course meal. Uh, unbelievable. Hot coffee? No problem. Here's a can beer? of hot coffee. Beer? Fine. No problem. Have a nice cold beer. Um, You want um sweets? Absolutely no problem. We'll cook the cookie for you. We'll bake it for you as before we serve it to you. Ice cream? Fresh scooped. I, I, I can't even tell you. Like the most amazing... I, I, it was just fascinating to me to watch these machines work. And there was no shortage of them. Everywhere you turned, there were machines like this, especially at the train station. One thing, though, about vending machines that a lot of people don't know, there are not public trash cans everywhere. And you do need to be kind of in charge of your own trash. There's no place to dispose of it right away. You need to dispose of it kind of like you're responsible for it. So it's a good idea to carry like um a plastic bag with you so that you oh. can put that yeah yeah because it, it's not everywhere recycling they'll do they they have community recycling but not community trash cans yeah so that's amazing yeah okay wrapping up our food section because you uh-huh. would always send me goodie boxes yes and had some of the most unique things mm-hmm. so Talk about the convenience stores and the snacks, because what you sent me was amazing. Yeah. Well, do you remember, what was the convenience store that you were talking about in Dallas? 
Bucky's. Bucky's. Do you remember how many things were in Bucky's? Thousands, millions. Take that and compress it into a Japanese size uh, convenience store that exists probably one every two to three blocks in Japan. Wow. It existed everywhere. And what's super cool about all the food in Japan is the difference in flavor. There's matcha, there's green tea, there's things that you would not think of and typical things that we Americans are used to. And the two famous ones that come to mind are Pringles and Kit Kats. Oh, yeah. Um, Let me tell you something. Try a cherry blossom Kit Kat. (laughs) Like nothing you've ever had. Try ice cream. Try ice cream that's flavored wasabi. Try it like, uh, yeah, amazing things. And you need to be a little bit adventurous in order to really enjoy all of it. But there is no shortage of cute, unique to Japan snacks and convenience stores in which to buy them. I would totally do that. Totally do that. Okay. So now that we have filled our bellies... Let's talk about what we want to do, like exploring all the different neighborhoods. Now, you did mention earlier that there's tons of festivals in Japan. There are. Yes. And I will say this. The neighborhoods are what make Japan amazing. Like when you're getting ready to really do a deep dig into Japan and really enjoy what's there, I would have to say that the neighborhoods kind of give you a taste of Japan that you won't get at all the icons. And by far, please visit all the icons. The only one that I would probably leave out is Tokyo Tower. I just don't think it's that big of a deal, but people go to it. I don't get it. Um, I would go into those neighborhoods in the suburbs. And the one that I would recommend that I know best is called Yamato. Um, There are festivals there, um, seasonal festivals, neighborhood festivals that you can kind of just join in on. There are parks in these communities that are so unique. They're not just a typical playground set. They are full of waterfalls and bouncy clouds and pirate ship playgrounds and gardens and walking paths. And um, they're they're far more in- intricate and they're community driven, which is amazing. Um, a lot of these communities have flea markets where you can find, like, to me, that's one of the best places to find those really unique souvenirs um, is in those flea markets. I, again, I recommend a great town called Yamato. It's on a train line. It's pretty easy to find about an hour outside of downtown Tokyo. And I think it's totally worth a a place like that. And then the other thing that you're going to find in the burbs, along with the sushi go rounds and the ramen houses is the hundred yen store. Which Yay! I I mean the first box that I ever sent you, we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea what we were buying. We went in with a post office box um from the American post office on the base that we were living on, and we literally filled it up with whatever looked interesting. We had no idea what the packaging said, we had no idea what half the stuff was. But it was kind of like, let's mystery shop. And we sent it home to you. Let me tell you, those little (laughs) magnets that came in there 
I love mm-hmm. them. I think I yeah. still have them on the side of my desk at work. They're these little bitty magnets. They're amazing. I just, mm-hmm. I want to go to the hundred yen store. And it was just, if there was no lack of stuff, like it's just amazing the amount of stuff that they have. And, and you just couldn't go wrong. The most popular um, 100 yen store is the Daiso. And I really, truly do recommend this. Set yourself up where you know where the post office is. Go to the Daiso. Have fun. Fill up your box and send it home. It'll be waiting for you when you get home. But go ahead and spend the money on that. I am telling you, it's been a couple of years since I've lived there. And both you and I have so many things from the Daiso that have lasted all these years. I still have book bins in my classroom, all kinds of stuff. It's crazy how much I I really do rely on a lot of those things and I'm very used to them now. So neighborhoods, wow. definitely worth it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now you've taught, you know, you've shared etiquette, language, food, shopping. How am I going to get around? What's the best way for us to travel about. Okay. Honesty time. I have to tell you, I never really paid attention to Japan um, until I was told I was moving there. <laughs> and I didn't realize how much people found the public transit system intimidating. And I have to say, I don't think it's intimidating at all. I think if you take a minute and you breathe, It's set up no differently than anywhere else. I think the trains are clean, friendly, and easy to use. There are a few etiquette rules to know with that. You know, like the people come off the plane first and people do line up to get on the train. Like they don't just all crowd in. There's a line. Um, I think that just knowing that you'll be able to phonetically read anywhere is very helpful. And the most important thing that I would suggest is making sure you have a paper map because I will tell you, I was never in a train station where somebody didn't offer help to me. If I asked for help, I got absolutely all the help I needed. I was never steered wrong by the locals. They're amazing, courteous, helpful, generous people. And I it is one of the biggest things I miss about living there is how amazing their their spirit is. Because there was never a time when I was in a train station that somebody didn't point me in the right direction. I don't think it's a big deal at all. Um, It's a very large map, but it's still just a map and it's still just train station after train station. There are a few tricky times in a train station that you do have to be careful. Um, Every once in a blue moon, you may wind up in a situation where you have to transfer trains and maybe walk through what feels like a department store or walk out of a train station and then back into it. But if you ask where you're staying or you kind of look it up, they're pretty good about telling you like walk outside and then walk back inside the East exit or, you know, something like that. They, they, they're pretty good about telling you. So I don't think that you'll have too much of a problem. I think by far the the bigger issue is driving. And the I can't one, even imagine. I can't even yeah, imagine. 
the number one driving rule in Japan is always just every time you're turning a corner, you've got to say to yourself and almost chant it, driver in the middle, driver in the middle, driver in the middle, because the driver, no matter where you are in the world, will always be toward the middle of the road in the car. They'll be in the seat closest to the middle of the road in the car, no matter where you are. So if you're in England driving, if you're in Italy driving, if you're in Africa driving, you're always in the middle of the road. So as long as you kind of keep that mantra, you can kind of drive anywhere. But that isn't the tricky part. The tricky part is the majority of streets and roads in Japan do not have names. They're just not named. Wow. Yeah. So you have to drive by by landmark. And I swear to you, this is true. I had to drive from my base to the local army base. So we lived on the Navy base and I had to go to the vet on the army base. And these were the directions that I got. Okay. This is, this is how we think, how the Americans thought in Japan. Oh, it's easy. Go out the main gate and go up to the gorilla and hang a right. Then go over the railroad tracks. You know what I'm talking about on Chicken Coop Road. Once you get to the end of Chicken Coop Road, go ahead and just swing a right. Go past the blue elephant, about a light and a half, and go ahead and make a left and you'll see the gate to go in. Wow. that That's how we got around. So by far, get on the train. <laughs> the moral <laughs> of the story is the train is far easier than driving (laughs) i agree i totally agree yeah okay so getting to the end of my list here Uh uh-huh you were in japan for three years Mm -hmm, three and a half Mm -hmm. three and a half who's counting right yeah Um, i was (laughs) what were some of the favorite like day trips that you could take you know, what oh. were some of the favorites in your household? Okay, so um, to give you context, I lived under the first O in Tokyo. So if you look at a map and it says Tokyo, I live like straight under that first O. So I was on the south side of the city, um, but in the suburbs again. Um, and that's called the Kanto Plain, that area between the, the water and Mount Fuji. So we could see Mount Fuji on clear days, like it was gorgeous. Um, and here are probably, I want to say, um, I think probably about 10 amazing day trips from Tokyo that you could take. Okay. okay. Um, the, the first one that I would say is definitely go to Disney. It's a very different experience in Japan. And it gives you one of those surreal moments because it's hilarious to listen to them um, tell you the Tower of Terror story in Japanese. (laughs) So it's very funny. Uh, So you really like it. And all of the characters have an Australian accent. Love it. Yes. Um, Enjoy the suburbs in Yokohama. Yokohama is where the tallest building is. It's not in Tokyo. It's in Yokohama. And um, there are a couple of things there, including the Ramen Museum, which is a lot of fun. Um, My favorite seaside place in the Kanto Plain is learning about the Big Buddha in Kamakura, which is south of um, Tokyo. Uh, I 
loved that town. It was the place where I brought every visitor. The big Buddha is there. There's a temple there. There's incredible food between the train station and the shrine. Um, there is actually a little place called Little Mexico. There were great Mexican restaurants there. There was an aquarium, a beach. Like There was a ton to do there. And it's very quaint and lovely. Um, so I love that. Uh, I love the castle at Odawara. It was a great lesson in the samurai and the feudal system. Um, I do think that if you are going to Tokyo and you don't take on some aspect of Fuji, you're missing out. So if you do want to hike up Mount Fuji, I would definitely do it from the um, eastern side. And you can read about the different... Uh, trails to go up Mount Fuji. You'll have to do that in, um, it starts in late June and it ends in August um, is the climbing season. But there are other things to do on Mount Fuji besides just climb to the summit. Although I do think you should do that if you have the chance. 80-year-old people do it. Six-year-old kids do it. You can do it. Um, it takes one day. Um, but there is an amazing amusement park called Fuji Q which has some of the most advanced roller coasters, the biggest, fastest roller coasters in the world. Uh, some of them are there. Um, Fuji Safari Park, that's the place where I fed the lions. I'm still a little mad with the monkeys that are there. They stole my son Connor's glasses. <laughs> we all know um, he needs them. He needs them. Um, the Five Lakes area, including uh, Lake Yamanaka, which is a part of Fuji Five Lakes, which is amazing. If you're a nature lover, go to Fuji Five Lakes. Um, check out also the Onsen area in um, Hakone. Onsens are the hot springs. And um, many Onsens are full buff. There are no clothes in them. So I'm going skinny dipping. It's skinny dipping in the hot springs and nobody blinks twice. But there are some in the Hakone area that do have clothes. This is one of those places where you have to think about the tattoos you may have. Um, you know, th this would be like one of those places where that's a relevant factor. But um, otherwise, I, you're you're pretty good. My children um, would have to be in body suits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, there are a, a lot of military guys would go out there and they would be refused service because they have them. It's just it's just yeah. not part of what they do there. You know, it's just it's a non-existent thing, and they're they they. They equate it with their gangs, which are called Bozozuko. Mm. And and so they they only see it in that negative light. They don't see it the way Americans do in the artistic light. So right. it is something to kind of keep, you know, it's it's a cultural respect thing. And oh yeah. I, I don't yeah. Um and then the other thing that I would do is if you're already at um, Fuji, go ahead and get yourself and just put yourself a little bit further to Kyoto because it is very traditional. And um, one of the most incredible experiences by Kyoto is Nara, where um, there are domesticated deer that you can, that kind of roam the whole city. It's, it's really amazing. So those are my big, those are my 10 big moments that I would definitely, if you're going to fly into Tokyo, those are the things that you should do for well, I, sure. I'm ready to pack my bags. 
You should. And in order to get everybody started, we've come up with the ultimate two-week starter kit over on our blog. We have an entire itinerary for you to follow that will um, help you kind of fit all of those things in and get you in and out of Tokyo, including a bullet train, which is a great experience. And, um, let you kind of customize from this basic list. So I think it's a great place to start. And I think Japan should be on everybody's bucket list. It's certainly, certainly well worth the time and experience. We hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. We drop two episodes every month for year-round travel fun. You can find more tips, hacks, destination guides, and inspiration at bobshianyaya.com. That's also where you'll find information about our upcoming workshops and our upcoming small group travel experiences. That's right. We'd love for you to join us during our travel season as we take in glorious destinations like Edinburgh, Paris, Warsaw, and Amsterdam. It's going to be so much fun. Don't hesitate to leave us a little comment or a review, especially over there on iTunes where the numbers do all the talking. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on all the social media, including TikTok and Facebook, by searching at Babshi and Yaya. That's B-A-B-C-I-A and Y-I-A-Y-I-A. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you.